Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. In this episode, I interview Brian McMillan, a former enterprise architect who took time off to write a book called Building Data Products, Introduction to Data and Analytics Engineering for Non-Programmers. The data products that Brian is talking about isn't the same as the definition for data mesh, and we get into that in the interview. In the book, Brian suggests a way to gently move the data lovers, if you want to call them that, in, in domains, the people who are really kind of using and abusing data to the limits of their tools. Um, so you can move them from simply someone going in above and beyond read data with what tools they have to someone creating real organizational value with data in a repeatable and scalable way. This goes for both producing and consuming data. And it's not something where you have to end up buying a bunch of tools. There's some pretty lightweight things that Brian suggests. Brian hypothesizes about an easy pathway from learning SQL to learning data modeling to learning the orchestration and data sharing with tools that mean people don't have to learn to be a programmer overnight. And this pathway is about taking somebody kind of by the hand rather than shoving them into the deep end. It isn't magic. It will take time, but it can mean far more information is shared from those closest to the data. Are these data mesh quality data products? No. Are they still useful to think about within a data mesh context? Yes. Finding what data is the most useful to domains and creating more scalable business processes and data products to support those business processes is going to be a very useful endeavor. Brian's approach can also be used for a pretty easy path to an exploratory platform. Again, it's pretty lightweight to build up and to use. So... There isn't that big pre-build so teams can much more easily test out a hypothesis or two rather than it being the lengthy and costly approval for uh, in a build cycle. This is probably more relevant for those who are doing things on-prem, but it can still be a pain to do things in the cloud this way as well. There's also an easy path when someone finds kind of a there there, something that is of value, they can move it to something far more scalable and reliable pretty easily. 
I think this all ties in nicely to shaping your data culture and building out a data literacy program, which is very important to data mesh. You want to gently upskill your people and create pathways for more people to build things via proper software development practices, whether those folks become software developers themselves or not. You can really deep dive into the domains and what data should be shared from those domains without having to level everyone up to a software engineer if you can create easier ways for people to share. If we can have more people sharing more of their context via data and also lower the bar to consuming data, that could be a part of the self-serve platform on either end. It could be highly valuable. I think there's a lot of interesting potential things to try in Brian's approach as he talks about at the end. Putting it all together in this same way is somewhat theoretical, but he's seeing a lot of the pieces work in different organizations. So it, if that feels somewhat similar to uh, Data Mesh, you'd be correct that Azure Mac kind of had the same concept around a theoretical approach to what has worked in other contexts and in other organizations. Not a all is one thing combined together, but in isolation but it also causes certain challenges. So how can we solve for those challenges ahead of time? Of course, your mileage may vary, but there are potentially useful tools to examine if they will work for you. And Brian is also giving away some free copies of the book. Check out the outro for more info. There's also a link in the show notes with some information on it. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, really excited for this episode here today. I've got Brian McMillan, who is an author. He wrote a, a really interesting book, um, and he's a former enterprise architect, and it's kind of searching for the next interesting thing, whether that's another book or whether that's, you know, something else. Uh, I think he's he's keeping his, his uh, options open on that. But the book that he wrote is Building Data Products, Introduction to Data Analytics data and analytics engineering for non-programmers. And when Brian reached out about uh, potentially being on the show, I was a little bit trying to figure out how, how could this be relevant to data mesh. And the more that we talked about this, I think it's a really, really potentially useful thing for the data cultural evolution of uh, a company to talk about how do we bring more people into the tent for sharing their data, not just using data, right? Data literacy isn't just for data users, but this could also potentially help for people to understand how to use data as well as share their data. So um, I'm really, I think this could be a really interesting topic to dig into further. Uh, but before we jump into that, Brian, if, if you wouldn't mind giving a little bit of a background about yourself and kind of what got you to writing this book. 
Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Brian McMillan, and I'm a longtime enterprise architect. And I've been been doing that for now 15 or more years. Um, and the area of focus for me has primarily been in the data and analytics space in big companies. And back in, uh, let's see, October of 2020, I left the, the job that I was in managing an analytics team to write a book about data building data products for non-programmers. I got really interested in this idea of, you know, how do we take the old IT department, you know, siloed um, business intelligence teams and start to move, you know, give some of the software development work that soft application developers are doing um, into the analytics space. And then also bring in, you know, I would, I was really interested in this idea of how do we get the people with the domain knowledge? Because typically the IT people don't really know, they know how to work with the data, but they don't really understand it. You have to get out in the field and really work with the people who are, you know, living with that data day in and day out um, to understand what it is they're trying to do, what the data actually means and how they're actually trying to use it. So the question is, how do we get those teams that have that domain knowledge, the, you know, um, let's say, say lightweight software development experience, start to ease them into that software development space a little bit so that they can start to move out of, you know, sharing Excel spreadsheets and, and putting and distributing PowerPoints and get them starting to think about the information they're sharing more as a data product that they have responsibility for that they can share. And you know, how do we make that easier and how do we start to ease that transition? So that that's really what the book is about. Is you know, first third of the book is about some business concepts, trying to get some a handle on general business ideas and business concepts. And then the last two thirds of the book are about, you know, walking through an actual iterative data product, you know, building a data product iteratively. Yeah. And, um, I think it, within the space, you know, the, the term data product means so many different things to different people, but I think this is the concept of, um, sharing your context, right. Of just like sharing your context via data in a much more scalable way, mm-hmm. uh, as, as somebody who loves Excel and has lived in Excel many, many times, um, it's just, it's not scalable. I mean, even just trying to do the versioning aspect of it is, you know, the final uh, X3 uh, super final this time for real, no joke, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep. And not to mention, how do you, how do you get out of having to push buttons and copy, copy data sets over day in and day out, you know, how do you do that? That's not sustainable either. Yeah. A reproducibility of changes where you say, oh, I I made these five changes to it, you know, but I don't remember exactly what those changes were. So how can you work backwards into those? Um, Yeah. So um, why don't we start with a little bit about what the the concept is of you know how would you start this and and it, let's say I think you you talked about the somebody in the 
operations aspect at a plant or something like that, like how would you kind of start to explain this to them and and what they're going to be doing and walk people through kind of how you can give them that gentle introduction? Well, I think from a cultural standpoint, it's a little bit more complex. Well, it's more complicated and also a lot simpler than that. So it's, it's more complicated from the standpoint, you just can't go up to someone and say, you know, I want you to start, you know, give me all your spreadsheets. I want you to start doing this thing that they're probably not going to be really comfortable with. And they probably, and they're definitely not going to want to do it because they already have a full job. You know, they, so it's simple if you, I think the way I would recommend approaching it is start to look for the people who are already doing interesting things with data above and beyond what most people are doing. You know, um, a great place to start looking at, you know, the finance team. I will guarantee you that in every finance organization in a large company, there is, there are at least two people on that, within that organization who are doing some really fantastic work with the tools they have. Now, how do you, how do you identify those people? They're the people who are doing a lot of ad hoc querying in Tableau, you know, in Power BI. They're, they're going, they're writing their own SQL code in these tools, and they're not really concerned with making a report or a dashboard out of that. They're concerned with working with the tools that they've been given to get access to the data they need to do their job. You know, they're already on the cusp of being able to do something in a much more um, sustainable and professional way. You know, they're already writing the SQL. They already have some of their procedures down. They're abusing the system that they have access to, to the fullest extent that they possibly can. You know, people who are doing, you know, out, um, you know, people who are using Excel Power Query, you know, find the people who are doing, you know, who, who just know all about pivot tables, find the people who, who know what Power Query is. They're already, if they know what Power Query is, they've already built a pretty scary database. I will guarantee it. Find those people. They're already, they already have problems that they need to solve with better technology than they currently have access to. And they are abusing what they have access to, to get their job done. So in that regard, it's easy to find those people and start working with them to find out. Now the trick is now you need to find out, well, what are you struggling with? You know, maybe it's, I just need a better ad hoc querying tool. Maybe it's I need to, I am always getting data from somebody over here in another department. You know, say shipping and receiving has information. There's somebody over, you know, there's there's someone over in shipping and receiving, and she knows how to make the data that's going to go to operations available. And you know, the, the spreadsheet's over here. <laughs> and somebody in operations goes and grabs that spreadsheet, and then they do their planning work from that. Now, they should be, you know, if they have SA, if you're an SAP shop, well, isn't that done automatically? I guarantee you there's somebody doing exactly that (laughs) above and beyond SAP. Those are exactly the people that you want to look for. They've got the right mindset and the right aptitude to start performing and to, to start actually doing their job in a much more efficient way, which is 
something they're also looking for. So are you, are you looking for people that are sharing the data in, in, or looking to consume the data or is it yes? Yes. It's, you know, so you're looking for people who are, you know, so let's, let's simplify this. You're looking for people who are abusing the technology they already have. You're looking for people who are sharing what they have produced with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, so they already have a, you know, they're already a supply. They're a vendor of the data or a supplier of the data to someone else who's their customer. So they're starting to build that customer relationship with somebody else. And then like with the flip side of that is people who are getting data from other people, you know, formally, informally. But these are the people who are doing it outside of the tools they've been given. Um, Another thing to look for are, you know, people who are, you know, an obvious one, the people who are constantly asking you access to the data warehouse. Yeah. And you either refuse to give them access because you're afraid they're going to break something or you give them access and, you know, say they're given just read only access. You know, the next step in that evolution would be, well, let's help them figure out what they need and let's start modifying the warehouse to support their needs. And we'll do that work. And then eventually though, when you can get the the learning curve isn't very steep, particularly for you know doing database development. The learning curve isn't that steep to get someone up to a point where they, okay, I know what table I need, you go build it, to you've given me a spot for me to go build out up my own infrastructure. And now I've I've retired my need for my Excel databases and my access databases and whatnot. Um, I'm not doing stuff on my laptop anymore. I'm in the, I'm in the approved supported infrastructure. And then the next step is they're actually taking their domain knowledge and their technical skills and then building out in the infrastructure that they have. You know, from a data mesh perspective, it gets a little, you know, it's a, you, you're not going to, that's probably how this flow is going to go in practice because you're not going to st- you're probably not going to stand up and get, you, you don't have infrastructure to give them. Right. We're not there yet. Yeah. Well, and, and, and how do you, how do you start? So you talked about identifying these people, but like, how do you move them along that journey? Like if, if someone were to come to me and say, Hey, I need you to share a bunch of this data. I'm not really, you know, a programmer. So, you know, anytime I've tried to install things, for some reason, my computers are always corner case of corner case. So it'll be like, mm-hmm. it, you're you're in the 1% that has this weird challenge, and then the 1% that has this weird challenge. So you have to solve the second challenge first, then solve the first, and then you can install like MySQL. It's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> but, so, so one of the things that I, one of the things I was playing around, so the book has a lot of assumptions in it. Mm-hmm. And what I tried to do with those, the way I tried to address those assumptions is make it as simple as possible. So, so for instance, um, you need to move from your Excel spreadsheets to a database. Well, the absolute easiest way to do that, um, the easiest way to do that in a way that will have a, 
minimal risk profile mm-hmm. would be use SQLite. It's available on every, you know, Windows, you know, Mac, doesn't matter. All the same, it's all the same database. It Once you have that on your system, it's very easy to now start moving those files that you had in, to, in Excel into a database. And it's a real database. You know, most people think, you know, if you're, if you're an app, dev- if you came from the app development side of the world, you know, you've used SQLite a lot when you were learning how to, you know, program a Flask app. You know, that was the first database that, you know, all the tutorials tell you to use. But what they don't tell you is that it's a pretty fantastic database. It's got all the features you could want built in. And it's one file and that you can move places and it's an app. And then there are tools that you use to access, you know, client tools you can use to access the database and a really good command line interface to it. And from that, now you can start learning how to load data into a database, you know, bulk insert your data table gets created automatically. Now you start learning how to write SQL queries against that table. If you, if you were writing SQL queries because you were a BI developer and that's what you did in Power BI or Tableau, then that's pretty straightforward. You know, you know how to write joins, you know how to write common table expressions. You, you know, if you learned how to do some window functions, then you can start building up some analytic capabilities. You know, same thing you did in Excel in a pivot table and in a database, it's a window function, same functionality. But you can start to learn that. So from a, how do you get people up to speed? One of the responsibilities of an organization that is trying to get people up to speed is training them. So you need to, you need to step back and start working out what that, that training profile, you know, that, that data literacy training program looks like for your people, because you're going to need to start where they started. You know, maybe it's Excel, maybe it's Tableau. You start there and start to build the skills, but the basic skills are pretty straightforward. You need to learn how to write SQL. Right. You need to get comfortable with the, and again, depending on your environment, a little bit harder in windows. Um, You need to get familiar with command line. It's like, if you're, if you're a a 100% window shop, that's probably going to look like learn how to do things with PowerShell. Mm -hmm. If you're a mixed shop and you can do things like stand up a um, virtual environment on your machine, you know, you can go straight, you can just leapfrog straight to Linux if you want. But again, there are a set of skills that you need to teach people. And that learning curve is going to, it looks really steep, but it really isn't. Particularly for people who come from Excel background, you know, the command line, that's just like an Excel function you type, same thing. You've got a net, you've got a command and then you have some parameters to it and that just works. Yeah. I mean, and it's straightforward. It does feel like it can be uh, pretty daunting, but at the same point, I went from never having touched Tableau to passing the, uh, the certification exam in a week and a half of just studying. I'm not sure what that says about the certification exams necessarily. (laughs) 
a lot of it's business logic, right? And so it's just like, can I get the tool to apply the business logic that I already know? And so a lot of it, I think, is handholding with people to to get them to that point. So you you talked when we when we had talked um, previously about this, about how you're you start with the kind of the database side that you're talking about, and then you move towards actually creating these data product concepts, which aren't exactly what you would call a data product in data mesh necessarily, but you know, they're they're data artifacts that they manage as if they were a product, right? It's not that there's 50 tables merged into one thing that's got like very complicated output mm-hmm. ports versus here's the data that that I think is important around this topic and here's one view on that. But um you know, not not to belittle them or anything, but I, I just want to make sure that that people are aware of that difference. But how do you take somebody from kind of that first of figuring out how to manipulate the data and and within the database and uh, move them towards something that is actually shareable and like that you can do the orchestration so they're not having to hit the button and things like that. Yeah. So again, one of the thing, one of the assumptions that I made in the book was, or one of the one of the guardrails I put on the book was you're not going to have to write code. Like you're not going to have to write a big long Python script or a bash script or uh, you know any kind of script. What you're going to use is you're going to use things that have good clean command line interfaces. And then you're just going to combine those in a variety of different ways. So from the sharing, in order to do the sharing, um, in the book, I'm using an application called Dataset. Uh, it was written by Simon Willison. Um, he was one of the develop one of the uh, developers of the Django Python framework, and he has a he has this side project where you can take a SQLite database, point this. That, you know, so you it, the data set application is a Python application, so it's you know pip install data set, pretty straightforward. And then you just point data set at your SQLite database, and it serves up an entire web interface, web application on top of that database and all of the tables. Hmm. And you have the ability, and what's so right there, there's no kind of coding you have to do to get a pretty full-featured web interface. You know, here are my six tables. Here's, here's my database, and it will support multiple databases. Um, here are my six tables in that database. If you click on one of those tables, it brings up a tabular view of the data. You know, normal web table, you know, you can sort and click. You can filter the data with facets. So you can say, show me all of the dates that are in this table. Show me that, you know, show me all of the um, countries, show me all of the customer names. And you can click on those to filter the data set down. There is a every every page has got a um, edit SQL capability. So you can view SQL and it'll take a look at all your filters that you've put on the data set on that table and give you the SQL code that would generate that table if you were writing the, the SQL longhand. Hmm. So you can go in, edit that, hit run SQL, 
the table will be filtered down even further with the custom SQL you put in. And that's really useful if you're trying to analyze these data sets. Because you know, the, the, one of the use cases that we always have is, I don't know what's in my data set. So get it into the database, put this web front end on top of it. And um, if you're on a Mac, there's also a uh, desktop application that um, he's developed. But just being able to filter and write custom SQL is really valuable. And then, of course, you can join the multiple, you can join across all the tables. So that's pretty useful. But where it gets really interesting is there are built into the, just the plain Jane, no, no additional plugins, the ability to export to JSON, to CSV, to a whole bunch of other, um, you know, nicer tabular outputs mm-hmm. just by altering, either by clicking on a button show me this data as a CSV um, or by going up to the URL bar and saying, you know, sales.html is now going to be sales.csv. And if I hit enter, I get the CSV data directly. So it automatically provides an API interface to all of the data in your system. And out of the box, it'll share everything. If you if you've got tables in there and you've got databases, it will share everything and give you this ad hoc ability, which was just when I first saw that it was like that would be useful. Yeah, especially if we're thinking about federated governance and things like that. There's there there's certain data where we want to just be able to share it no matter what, and mm-hmm. and we have to teach the people to be conscious of. You know, if there's PII and things like that, that you don't have that. But in a lot of cases, there's just a lot of data that could be useful that if we just figured out how a better way to share it and and that it's by the people who know the data best. Mm -hmm. And and what are useful queries for it, right? Like within Data Mesh, we're trying to share data in such a way as to not answer specific questions. But we also want to make sure that we, you know, that's the the source aligned, the producer aligned data products, but the consumer aligned data products are designed to be answering more specific questions or to be kind of closer to what would somebody be asking of the data. You don't want to, you want to have those producer aligned source aligned data products so that if somebody has another query that the, the domain hasn't thought of, you need to have that. But I, I think this is, this gives a lot of ability both upstream of data mesh, right? Uh, that mm-hmm. this could be things that serve into data mesh or that that it creates the processes that would then be used. You'd harden those processes to get the data in regularly and things like that, but that you've got that. And then also potentially for easier consumption for kind of lowering the bar to consumption off of data mesh, right? Of, of having this kind of capability in your platform for, when you think about self-serve for the consumers of data, you want to have people that are business analysts or even not even necessarily that analyst is in their title or in their role. It's just kind of in their blood. It's the people that, that want to be doing this. Yeah. So yeah, I think that that's really interesting. So 
Um, so, so you're, you've got this kind of inherent ability to share, you know, kind of where, where have you seen that going when you've, you've done that or, or why, why as well, do you think that this is important? Well, two, two spaces. So one of the, a, a man, you know, a, a while ago, one of my managers was saying, you know, we don't, we, you know, we can't let people into the warehouse. We can't let them do that. You know, the, Raytheon had a um, pretty sophisticated data vault infrastructure. They were standing up a Hadoop infrastructure. But one of the problems is that, you know, people have ideas they want to work on. You know, the data science team is a great example of that. You know, data science team, they've got these hypotheses they want to run. You don't, if you're, if you're, business model around your warehouse is this is the published good, you know, um, source of truth for my data. The last thing you want to do is endanger that. So we can't let you, so that's, that's a good reason why we can't just let you go in and start creating your own tables, modifying tables that are already there. That kind of, that kind of exploratory work you can't do. And sometimes well, I mean, in the data science case, particularly if you're just chasing hypotheses, you're going to do the work and then it's not going to pan out the way you want. So you need to archive it off somewhere. Right. And one of the, one of the, I think, potential use cases for something for the kind of an exploratory data platform like this is, you know, use this as your micro data warehouse, whatever you want to call it, your exploratory platform, you've got all the data you need. You've got full control over it. If it works out, you have a great set of requirements to then figure out how you're going to implement it in the production system. If it doesn't work out, you have a nice way to encapsulate all your work and put it on the shelf somewhere. Come back to it later. Right. And, you know, it's possible to package up, you know, the front end, the back end, and then all of the orchestration work in between. In the book, I'm using Make to do all the orchestration work because it's super easy to use and understand. But it's just code. It all can be packaged up nicely and put on, you know, put in your repository somewhere in source code control, and there you go. And it, you know, six months later, you can come back to it if need be. So that's one use is having this exploratory data platform. The other use is that, well, step back. The, you know, the one is just having the exploratory data platform where you can archive it off. The other one is, like I said earlier, having these set of requirements that you've worked through. You know, you've worked through, and the important thing is you've worked through the business logic because everybody's data is just garbage. (laughs) Yeah. It just, you know, everybody knows this. We all joke about it. We all spend way too much of our time living with it and trying to work around it. But this gives you a way to spend time working in a safe environment. You know, you've got a safe, uh, I don't want to use the word, yeah. You've got this safe container you can work through these problems to start to get a handle of how big it is. Um, One of the things that, you know, 
I once built a warehouse. It was on a team. We were building a warehouse. We rebuilt it twice before we finally got it right. You know, and that's a pretty common story. You, you know, you get the data that, you know, everybody, you get the data that the entire company is using and you start digging into it and you find out nobody should be touching this data. This does not mean what you think it means. And we need to go find better data. So you go find better data. That isn't much better. <laughs> And it's it's not reliable, scalable, like repeatable. You talk about the data quality side. It's not just did I find is this data that I just accessed? Is it reliable? Is is this correct or what I think it means right now? But if I go and I do some project where I'm analyzing this and I'm building things up, and I come back four weeks later and the data hasn't changed, it's like, oh, so this thing wasn't being updated <laughs> or, or something upstream stream broke and nobody noticed or, yep. you know, like that there's so much work that and mental strain that we have that's allocated to, can I actually trust this data? Do I have to go and surf all the way upstream to, to find the source or paddle upstream to find the source and be like, what does this mean? Here's what I think it means. All of that, you know, you don't have with, with data mesh. That's one of the things that I really like is the empathy around. You can see where things have come from and, and the understanding around this. So, but you have to build that into the, you have to build that into the system. Yes. You have to platform you, and culture, right? Like yeah. And yeah, it, it is definitely both. You need to, you know, somebody who's going to, so one of the things I did in the book was, so again, another assumption in the book that is that somebody's figured this out already. Like somebody has already solved this problem for you. So in the case of metadata about the system, so there's a companion, you know, data sets, one application, there's a uh, SQLite utilities package to help you manage the data inside a SQLite database made by the same person who it, who wrote Dataset. And one of the most useful features in that is this analyze table command, where it will go through and it will analyze all the tables. And there are some other utilities, there are some good utilities to do this, um, like CSV kit if you're looking at CSV data. Um, uh, what is it? Um, there are a couple of other CSV specific tools, but the, inside the database, you want a functionality. You want some functionality that will go in and introspect your database. Now, depending on your platform, it may be just, you know, look at the schemas, you know, look at the schema tables and publish that data. But from a data product perspective, one of the, one of the cultural things that you need to know is if you are going to publish the data, you need to define all, you know, what is this what does this table do? What do each of these fields do? And whether that's in the metadata inside the database, and you know, when you're when you're building the data, you know, comments in columns inside the database, or it's metadata in an application that sits on top of the database, which is how um, dataset does it. There's a meta, there's a metadata definition document that you can use to define all your columns and fields and things and canned queries and whatnot. But you need to do that. You have to do that. And 
by doing that, that says you're you're trusting. You have invested the time and energy, in you, and you can trust this data. Yeah, you know, do it in the things that you are publishing. You know, if you are publishing it, and you want people and you want people to use it, then it should be well described, and it should be done in a way that's consistent. So the this analyze table function. Ideally, what you should do and what's done in the book is that it, run that analyze table function when everything's built, you know, when, you, when you've built the system, take that data and stick it in a table so that somebody can consistently get at that table. And then you use that to tell you how many records do I have? What are, some, what are the most common values? What are the least common values? Do I have any nulls? How many distinct values? You know, those kind of things. And if you were thinking bigger picture, like from, you know, the computational governance yeah. in data mesh, the, the organization that's providing that computational governance should be expecting that they can hit an interface on your system that will return all that kind of data. Yeah. And you can see, oh, hey, we have... We have sales revenue defined four different ways in three systems. Yeah, that's not the uh, best. Let's go have a conversation about that. And that's one way you can do the you can do the governance. But you need to have a data dictionary somewhere, some kind, on any of the data you publish. You are obligated to do that. And part of that is just getting used to getting people used to doing that kind of thinking. And that kind of work, it's not enough to just throw it out there, but also um, bigger or, you know, bigger picture organizationally, you want to be able to reach across the organization and see their information yeah. so that you can figure out, oh, maybe I can stop doing this because you're doing it. You're doing a great job. I'm just going to get, you know, these three tables I'm going to get from you or I'm going to access from you through your API or, you know, bulk load or however you end up implementing it. That's a separate issue. Or even um, what would make your data product that you're sharing, you know, other organization better is if it had this little bit of data in it. So let's make me an upstream um, dependency onto your thing, but you've got a bigger data product that has, you know, these 30 or 40 tables and, uh, I'm going to be helping you to source or to, to create a few of the columns or one table that's in there or whatever, yeah. that, that, that can be interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of questions about what I've seen with a lot of spreadsheets that are like this, but that kind of do the same thing that where, I mean, you do have manual entry and things like that, but um, there's a lot of spreadsheet behemoths and they're owned by one person and understood by one person, right? Mm -hmm. So people move on, they leave companies, they, that, that happens. How do you think about in this, sharing the information around what is produced and created, not just necessarily in the metadata aspect of it, but, you know, how much of this is, is still 
pretty fragile to the kind of, you know, that one person leaving or the, you know, hit by a bus principle as, as some mm-hmm. people call it. I think that boils down to team organizational structure. And this is where you have to be very intentional about this problem. And I think that is probably that, you know, oh, that is such a good problem because so let's, let's wind back to finding the people who are the good candidates for doing this. You know, the person in finance who's built this great, you know, Excel access monster. They are probably only one person. They're probably very busy in, on Mondays. And it is a huge risk and you can't underestimate that. So I think, so one of the things to look at when you're assembling, when you're starting down this path of getting people to work differently, you know, it's a little bit of a, what is it? Uh, you know, Conway's law, we're going to put some technology in place to change the culture. This is, this is maybe one way to do it. Everybody's going to get, have to learn new things. By, by making everyone learn new things, you can start to teach them ways of learning those new things and also working with those new things that are different than what they did before. So good time to introduce peer programming. But it's a little bit hard if you've got one person who's learning and one person who's not really interested in. I think there's probably it's probably worth playing around with mobbing a bit. You know, even if it is just having office hours. So when 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 I was in the quality organization, uh, one of the things that we did is we did Tuesdays and Thursdays we did office hours for three hours. And we took over a big conference room with a couple of big, huge monitors. And the entire team would get in the room and work through whatever problem somebody was working on. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit of a hybrid. You know, it wasn't really true mobbing. It, it was better than peer programming because you had the entire team there working and you shifted through problems. Um, I think if you were a little bit more specific about that, you know, driver and you know, the, the person with the steering wheel and the person who's in the backseat yelling directions, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that would work a little bit better and probably is worth experimenting with, but it's a super hard problem because you're learning new things is really difficult and nobody wants to, nobody wants to fail out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- and, and it's a hard, it is training People, how to do something new is really difficult. It's really difficult. And I think you need to come up with ways to do that. And some of it is going to be dependent on, it's a bit of a, so it's a cop-out. Some of it's dependent on your team and how your team works together. Some teams are really collaborative. Mm -hmm. And this isn't a big stretch. And if you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to work, we're going to learn this thing and we're going to work for, you know, your Scott, you're going to program for, you know, five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And we're going to be over here thinking about the problem and you're just going to be running the keyboard and then it's going to switch with somebody else. And then I'll sit down on the keyboard and do my little bit and that I think is one way to do it, but you need to, you need to get people 
working together on this. The other thing is to make sure that everybody on the team is one other way to do this is to, that's a little bit of a, a mix here is make sure that everybody on the team has a problem that they're working on. Mm-hmm. You know, so right now someone's going to be working on improving their SQL skills to move from querying to actually doing data modeling and building the database. Somebody else is going to work on the orchestration piece and starting to automate that. And then you need to be very cautious about switching positions at some point. So there's a, there's a way to, there are lots of ways to blend this and there really isn't one right way, but you have to start cross training people. You know, it's the, so from the perspective of trying to figure out where you're you know, you've identified people who are likely candidates and here's a team we can put together to do this. Here's this, this domain team. Um, what are the T-shaped skills you need? Yeah. And you need to do an assessment on where people are at because there's a lot to learn and you need to make it as simple as possible. And, and there will be things that you'll push off and you won't, you won't learn. So one of the things in the book was, okay, well, that's great. You've got this website running on your laptop and you can do all this ad hoc querying. How do you deploy it someplace else? Well, you either need to find some server to to do the build on and then make deploy on that server, or um, there's a, a built-in publish function in data set to deploy to Heroku and um, the Google Cloud Run infrastructure. So you can do make, deploy, G Cloud, and it packages everything up in a container, ships it off to Cloud Run's infrastructure, and then get, spits back the URL. Here, here's your data product sitting on Google's cloud. And the cool thing about that is, again, from the standpoint of a exploratory product is, Google's cloud run infrastructure is really truly serverless. You know, you, your, your container's got the web app in it. It's also got the database. So it's one container and it scales to zero. And depending on the load, it'll automatically scale it up to however many nodes you need without you having to do any kind of configuration, without you having to manage the infrastructure. You know, it really is a, it really is a no ops solution. Now, is that something you would want in production? Long-term production, would you build your data mesh out of this? Uh, The answer to that is, heck no, you wouldn't. But that's where we need to be skating towards is, you know, here's your product. It, we don't need to worry about the infrastructure. How, How do you prevent this from becoming shadow IT, right? If you give people these capabilities... Is, does it have to be that, that the organization is ready to prevent this from being shadow IT so this isn't just more efficient shadow IT? Uh, well, okay. So um, part of my job as an enterprise architect for a long time was to go find the shadow IT teams mm-hmm. and work with them. You know, we need to take your, so you've built this great system. We're going to take it and we're going to scale it globally and everything's going to change but we're going to take what you've done as the basis and then we're going to scale it up, give you the resources you need. You'll be part of the team and we're going to rebuild it the right way. So you need to take that same approach. 
in order to keep this from being shadow IT. So if you are if you are a shadow IT person, um, this is a good way to make sure that you if you do it right, um, it is a really subversive thing to do <laughs> because you are going to make um, in in an indispensable product that you can move faster than the, your, you know, corporate IT team. Well, then they'll have, you'll be able to move faster than they've ever been able to. I never will be able to. Um, that's not the right way to do it. That's, that's not good because one, you're going to be supporting it, you know, getting back to the, um, you know, single point of failure. You don't want to be that single point of failure. And part of doing it the right way is making sure you're not. So you need to make sure you have the support in place. Um, so there is a big risk there. But again, if you if you think about this from the bigger picture, and you take this idea that you know all good ideas start with exploration, and that looks different. That exploration, that implementation of exploration looks very different than when you start scaling up. And there's a part where you start scaling up. You know, once you know who your customers are, what the value is. You, you've got some consistent policies and procedures in place. You know, you, you're starting to get a product. Then you need to start scaling it up. And at that point, you have to move to a different, you know, a different platform. So one of the ways I think about it is this is what's described in the book is really expressing the need for an exploratory platform. That in some ways is throwaway. In some, in other ways, it's just um, to help you get your requirements down, to help you start working on things. And then, then there is some production infrastructure that will probably be very different. And you need to. The trick then becomes how do you do that transition? Yeah, it's an easy migration path once you've found the thing. Right. It's it's enabling people to create the thing or to test out, is this the thing? And then yeah. once you've found the thing, you can easily migrate it to be something that's more production worthy. That, yeah, that because, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the it, you know, the problem is so the problem with the shadow IT is from a from a corporate IT perspective, is you we don't really think about doing we don't think consciously about doing that transition. And we don't think consciously about pushing back on the value that these things are bringing because plenty of projects don't bring value. Mm -hmm. And it's not just somebody out in, you know, somebody out in say the purchasing organization built this great thing. And it really only serves a team of two. It's a great product for the two people who need that product, but it's not ever going to scale up. The counterpoint to that is, you know, some senior executive says, this is the dashboard. And, you know, I need these dashboards. I want you to track these metrics. And IT's told to go do that. And they spin up a team to go do that. And they don't push back on whether or not that's actually delivering value. And this is a way to, by having kind of a, a tiered architecture, an exploratory architecture, and then a production architecture, it's a way to push back on that. Say, yep, let's help you work through everything in this exploratory solution 
in this exploratory world. And it doesn't matter what that is. If you just think about it as I do exploratory work and then I do growth work and then I do stability, you know, then, then the product's fully baked and it's, you know, kind of in production support mode. Thinking of things in those three tiers. And then there's a fourth one, which is really, you know, how do you shut this down? And yeah. And, and I think that's interesting as well to be, to not invest too much around something where you're not sure if it's, yeah. it's, if when you fully bake it, it's going to be a cake or it's going to be a hot mess. And yeah. yeah. So, um, so as, as we're, we're kind of coming up on time here. So I wanted to ask one last question here and then kind of give you the, uh, ability to, to do the plugs and things at the end. But, um, so you've come up with this really interesting framework for how people could do this. Have you seen this done? Are you working with anybody that's done it or like, is this theoretical or have you seen this work in the past? I've done parts of it. So it right now it's, it is largely theoretical. I took some time off to work through these ideas. Um, you know, basically what I did was I took a sabbatical to work on these ideas and the output of that was a book. Mm-hmm. It was kind of working, stepping through how this would look. Um, you know, take this problem of this exploratory platform and teaching people who are non-technical the IT skills that they need to be productive in a new way. Um, now, bits and pieces of all of this, I have done. Mm-hmm. But pulling it together in some kind of cohesive story, um, I haven't done that yet. And it's a really interesting problem that uh, I, you know, I'd like a chance to work on at some point. And I don't know whether, you know, there's a, there, I, I'm not sure there's a product here. I'm not sure there's another book here. <laughs> I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure where the, where it's going right now. Cause it was just mainly the last um, year has been spent putting this thing together and walking through all of the, you know, everything from the technical skills that you would need to the, you know, how do you do the, you know, how do you work in an agile way? Yeah. So, so if, if people are interested in digging into this, maybe potentially looking to implement this themselves, how do they get in touch with you? Like what, what's the best way and, and what, what are you looking for from that standpoint? Too? So probably the best way is go to uh, my website. We'll have it in the show notes, show notes. Um, but it's minimum viable architecture.com. Really what I'm looking for is to have conversation with people about what they're struggling with is they're trying to bring these non-traditional teams into the IT fold. You know, how do we get, how do we identify those people who have the domain knowledge? How do we identify what skills they need? What are you doing? I'm really curious to find out what you're doing, what you've, what's been successful for you to train people to be able to, you know, move out of that, you know, Excel access tableau world into something that's more IT like, um, you know, absolutely no pressure for that. I'm just curious to find out what's working for people. Now, um, if you are looking to implement something, you know, let's have a, con- we can also have a conversation about, um, maybe some consulting work. Yeah. 
I mean, th- that makes perfect sense. If, if somebody's going to be taking up more than an hour of your time, it makes <laughs> sense that there's, you know, if somebody's really looking for your help for implementing. And, and I think uh, you were also looking at, for the show notes, we'll, we'll put this in there, but um, the first 10 people who signed up for to to chat with you as well would get a free copy of the book. Is yeah, so yeah, absolutely, and, and I think that would be helpful. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of ground to cover in this space, and I think the, you know the reason I I wrote the book was to help people get an idea of how much ground we have to cover here. Kickstart the conversation and 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 figure out. I mean, if if people are really frustrated by um, something that's a bigger practice in, in theory, then that's what data mesh was, was Shemak saying, this stuff isn't working. Let's, let's approach this in a different way. And I think this, this can dovetail quite nicely when you think about data culture and you think about data literacy and how do you actually implement that? You know, HelloFresh has talked about their, um, they've got like a gamification platform for people learning. And this can be something where you can say, and look, it's not just your learning. Here's what you can do. And here's, here's the output. And here might be the impact, right? That, that you can, you can have a direct path to understanding and impact. So, uh, well, well, Brian, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been a really great conversation. I hope very useful for everybody listening. And thanks to everybody listening at home. I'd again like to thank my guest, Brian McMillan, author of Building Data Products, Introduction to Data and Analytics Engineering for Non-Programmers. As Brian mentioned, there is a link to set up some time to chat with Brian in the show notes, or you can go to minimumviablearchitecture.com as well. If you want a free copy of Brian's book, he's giving away 10 copies to listeners. So just mention Data Mesh Radio in the comments when setting up time to chat with him for that free, awesome resource. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.